Hey, Monster Brothers, it's Greg Delder. Uh was listening to your Rat Folk episode, and I was reminded of living in Louisiana, uh, where they have nutria. Uh, nutria are a invasive species that have been brought to the United States from South America, and they have these big buck orange teeth. And I think if I was to make some swamp rat folk, I would definitely be inspired by nutria with these big orange teeth and they would have been brought there possibly by some rogue wizard or some druid thinking it was a good idea, and they would be trying to get back to their original habitat, but they'd be destroying the swamp in the process because that's what Nutria do. Uh, Loving the show, loving all of your thoughts. Thought I'd just share that, and looking forward to the next episode. Hey, Monster Brothers, it's Greg Gelder. Just listened to the Trolls episode. Uh, I wanted to share that there's a, an art installation at the Morton Arboretum in Lyle, Illinois, spelled L-I-S-L-E. Uh, and there are these trolls made out of wood. Um, I find them very inspirational. Google search them. Um, if I was to make a troll, they'd be inspired off of those. They'd actually be constructs. Uh, but to cause trouble for a party, they would... Uh, be constantly trying to take on vestiges of uh, real-life trolls and, like, stuffing moss in their hair and putting rocks on their bodies to, you know, replicate clothing or to make them look more rocky. Uh, they'd be, you know, goofy trolls uh, who didn't really want to cause any harm to anyone. They just wanted to, like, collect things and maybe would show something special or cool in the forest or a safer way in exchange for, like, party belongings or shiny stones. Hey, Monster Brothers. Uh, one last thing. Uh, I'm sure you guys have a nice long list of creatures and monsters that you want to do a show about. Uh, one I would be super interested in hearing you guys tackle uh, would be golems. Uh, I love constructs. I love all of the weird things they can be made out of. I love the idea of them having spirits trapped inside of them or being created by a mad wizard or being vestiges of long lost civilizations. There's just, there's just so much you can do and there's so much historical background to them as well. So looking forward to an episode about those someday and I'll talk to you all later. Those are some great call-ins, Greg. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing your ideas. Golems is a wonderful suggestion for all the reasons that you outlined in your message. What do you think, Logan? What comes to mind when you hear the word golem? This was a great suggestion, and I have almost too much to say. I'll jump right into the most famous golem and work my way out from there. The golem from the story of Rabbi Loeb and the golem of Prague really sets the tone for me. Strangely, it's super specific about a lot of things. It was supposed to have taken place in 1580 during the reign of Rudolf II. Rabbi Loeb, who was an actual person, sought a solution to the increasing violence against his people and received the command to create a golem. The stories seem to split from there. Some simply say that the golem was brought to life with a shem, a word written on the golem's forehead or a piece of paper inserted into its mouth, and when it was no longer useful, it was retracted and the golem was sealed away in an attic, where some speculate there could be traces of a giant body there still. In other stories... Emmet, or Truth, was written on the golem's forehead. For some reason, the golem kind of goes berserk. He starts getting more and more violent. 
And it's only when they remove that E from the word and change it into the word for death that the golem can finally be stopped. There are even a few sequels to the story in which Rabbi Loeb's son brings the golem back to life for more adventures. The golem story borrows from much earlier stories, like the story of Prometheus or even Genesis. In fact, Adam, because he was formed out of clay, is sometimes referred to as a golem. In turn, the golem stories gave rise to things like Frankenstein and a myriad of robot stories. A favorite that comes to mind is The Day the Earth Stood Still. Gort is a classic golem. The whole desperate effort to say, Klatu, Barada Nikto, is very reminiscent of the removal or alteration of the Shem. Anyway, I could just go on and on. Let's get your thoughts in here, Ray. You and Greg really got us off on some solid footing here. My first thought has to do with this idea of programming. I really like the Shem that's put on the forehead or in the mouth that activates the golem. And that, I believe, is where the tie comes to robot stories uh, and the idea that golems have a kind of alien intelligence. They are not human. And so it's hard to figure out exactly how they're going to react. And this idea of them going berserk is tied to that as well because they get the wrong kind of stimulus or uh, run out of their programming running out of their instructions or their instructions are too literal or too vague um, and they run amok. So I really like that idea. The next thing I wanted to kind of point out was the idea of a single controller. Most golems are, uh, most golem stories involve a creator, somebody who created the golem or somebody who has power over the golem. And that's where your mention of the movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, really draws out that point. So in the original story of the golem of Prague, we have Rabbi Loeb. And in the story of Gort, uh, we have his uh, uh you know, controller there. I can't remember the man's name, but the alien that travels with him. So that's an important point. It, it strikes me that, you know, those are two key elements um, of how you interact with golems. You have to understand what they're purposed for and what they're trying to do to predict what they're going to do next and perhaps channel them into an activity that is less destructive or more desirable for you. And you might uh, tackle a problem of a golem by finding the controller and uh, manipulating the controller. The other thing I want to point out is that there is a tie-in, I think, with the common folk. Uh, you mentioned that Rabbi Loeb created his golem to essentially counteract some of the injustices that is done to his people. And I feel like it's a, the golem story is kind of a power fantasy for commoners, uh, this idea of a champion who will fight on their behalf. There's a novel that was written recently by Helen Wecker called The Golem and the Genie. I believe that's the title. It might be The Genie and the Golem. I always forget which one comes first. But I think it explores this connection to the common people. The story is set in New York in 1900, right at the turn of the century, and it really explores themes of immigration and fitting in. The golem in the story has arrived in the new world, uh, separated from its creator, and falls into an association with a, a baker uh, in a local community, a Jewish community. And 
The golem is uh, in the shape of a young woman and can pass as human and does so for a while. And it's really about her struggle to uh, find a purpose, a new purpose, because she's run out of her programming and to fit in with human society and not do the wrong thing, not uh, go berserk in some ways. The genie arrives uh, in the hands of a silversmith in a pot uh, of some sort. So when the, um, when the guy goes to polish it, of course, the genie comes out. And the genie goes through some of the same struggles. Uh, the genie seems like a bit more of a powerful character. It's, it's more adaptive by its nature. And so it's a little uh, more adept at fitting in. The golem is really the viewpoint character of the story, and so uh, the genie and the golem find each other and strike up a sort of uh, friendship and explore uh, immigrant communities in New York at the turn of the century. A really cool story. It runs a little long, and it, um, while it's a satisfying story overall, I would say that it doesn't get a lot better after the first half, so if, if you like the book in the first half, keep reading. Um, if you don't like the book, and you're a third to a half the way in, you can quit because you've got the idea. <laughs> it, it doesn't, I mean, I thought the ending was uh, okay, not anything amazing, uh, but it is a, an enjoyable story to read, and it brings up a lot of cool thoughts about golems. One last thing I'll point out, and you sort of touched on this, Logan, is the idea of what material the golem is made from. The original golem, of course, is made from earth. Later golems are made from metal, robots in particular, if you consider them golems. But also in most fantasy adventure games, you have metal golems uh, cast from iron and magically animated. Uh, there are golems made of flesh, which of course references the Frankenstein story. And they seem to be a divergent path, I think, in nature. And uh, there are golems made out of other things, too. And they I remember specifically in a scenario that one of my friends ran for me in Dungeons & Dragons that uh, he had a local baker who made pizzas and had made a pizza golem. <laughs> and when you, when you struck it, it squirted out hot uh, pizza sauce at you. <laughs> so it would burn you. Um, you know, and I think... What it's made of is part, you know, feeds into its programming, into its very nature, and so it's important. Uh, earth, metal, flesh are the most common. Um, I've seen, like, parchment golems made of paper, lacquered paper. I've seen the idea of golems made of uh, bits of machinery uh, that is a bit more like a clockwork kind of creature. And so it's important to pay attention to what a golem is made of, but I think the commonality is powerful. You you know, most golems are powerful, and the idea of making one out of the earth, I think, is to make it bulky and solid and dense and hard to kill. They don't have internal organs, you know, they're amorphous in their structure, and uh, so you want a golem to be powerful and hard to affect. Now, when we were talking about the subject of golems, you brought up a trio, a trio of movies that I had never seen before called Dimogen. And I started watching those, and I just really love them. Can you tell us a little more about these movies? Dimogen. <laughs> the name says it all. Di means big, and Imogen is a demon or a spirit. You pointed out that the three Dimogene movies were made simultaneously, which really helps to explain why they're so consistent. 
I love these movies because they hit several of my favorite elements at the same time. I love monster movies. Check. I love samurai movies. Check. I love stories about supernatural justice. Check. And last but not least, I love movies with a clever use of simple special effects and great music. Check. The basic premise is that the giant statue is either a trapped demon or a representative of an old mountain god. A villain comes into the scene and flips life on its head for the common people. Just when everything looks bleak, the statue comes to life and, using its great size and mystical power, returns the structure of life to its proper alignment. These movies are so much fun. They're full of struggles between nasty warlords, noble samurai, and brave common folk. They build to an exciting crescendo and deliver in a huge way. The giant statue with its grim, expressive face is awesome as it tears through castles and responds to opposition with intelligence and cosmic power. There's something immediate and satisfying about the effects. The actor in the suit does a great job of conveying the deliberate and implacable force that is Daimajin. The weather elements that accompany the statue make the scenes more believable and dramatic. There's certain poetry in the outcomes. I might have noticed some scale issues or funky lighting here and there, but by the time the Dimogene is on the loose, I'm all in. There are several key features found in all three movies. One, a powerful villain has recently taken over the territory and has interrupted a respectful tradition involving the being within the statue. Two, the area near the statue becomes a destination out of desperation. Three, there is someone who represents innocence making an appeal to the statue. Four, there is someone representing cruelty deliberately vandalizing or disrespecting the statue. And five, all hell breaks loose. What are some elements of this story that make for interesting comparisons or contrasts with the Golem story? Daimajin is enormous, which greatly exaggerates the power of the golem, but there is a sense of dread in both stories when the full potential of the beast is understood. There is a similar play between the ability to activate or exert some measure of will over the statue and a higher power overriding that control to exact a toll dictated from beyond. The Daimajin stories very much follow the same sort of moralistic narrative found in golem stories. One major difference is that the Daimajin is not man-made. He looks like a statue, but is usually described as a demon spirit trapped by a god or simply a mountain spirit. Like so many stories that draw upon the themes found in the Golem, people are the real monsters and the statue or construct is really just an adjustment for their evil. Yeah, I can totally see why you associated these movies to the Golem story right away. It carries all the classic themes. You mentioned the contrast of the Daimajin not being man-made. And it reminds me that Greg, at the outset of this episode, talked about spirits trapped inside golems or remnants of lost civilizations. And I like this idea that a golem its origin might not be known. It might have been made at some point. Certainly, the Daimajin looked like it was fashioned, uh, had to have been fashioned by somebody or some power because it's in the shape of a giant samurai warrior. But did it come from a past civilization? Um, was it shaped by a god? 
um, you know, who trapped the demon inside. These are all relevant questions and make a, a, a golem story really interesting. I want to diverge for a second and talk about Frankenstein. I mentioned that I think flesh golems are kind of a, uh, a divergent path from the typical golem story. Movies made about Frankenstein really don't have a lot in common with the original novel by Mary Shelley. In the novel, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, a student of medicine and physics, patches together a creature out of leftover human parts, recently dead human parts. And his uh, goal is ultimately a good one, which is he's trying to figure out how to keep people alive or to help them live through the event of death. But, of course, it's a sin against nature, and once he creates the monster, he immediately regrets it and shuns it, uh, which then turns the monster into a troublesome creature. I won't say evil, because I don't think he's ever really evil in the novel. The only time he does really violent and bad things is when Frankenstein won't pay uh, attention to him, when Dr. Frankenstein won't pay attention to him. And so the monster is... a something that is trying to come to grips with what it is and where it fits in the universe and why its creator both created it and shunned it. It's very interesting in that respect, but it, and I suppose it does have in common with the Golem stories, you know, a single creator and perhaps a little bit of this programming idea, although I don't really feel like that comes into play as much. It feels like a, a pure hybrid of golem stories with undead stories. And so we have kind of the first super zombie, if you will, in Frankenstein. And uh, I, so I think flesh golems are a bit of an outlier in, in the classic themes of golem stories. One piece that Frankenstein really does add to the picture of golems is this question of sentience, and that plays back into robot stories. Are the robots, um, or are these golems alive? Are they thinking creatures? Do they have rights? All of this stuff is an interesting question when you uh, want to dive deeper or have a more meaningful golem story than just banging away at a golem with your maces and swords. <laughs> so I think we're at that point now where we could talk about golems and gaming. Have you used golems a lot in gaming, Logan? Or uh, what is your impulse on how you would use them? In my games as a player, I've been up against flesh golems, stone golems, and iron golems. And all of those were fun battles. <laughs> as a DM or GM, I have never actually put one into a game. I've used robots and kind of similar creatures, but I can't think of a time I've used an actual golem. What I think I would do if I were to put one in a game is actually take advantage of the flip side of the story. It seems like as a thing to fight, they are interesting. But I think what's even more interesting is the idea of control. I would like to put one in a game where the party can discover it, possibly learn how to activate it, and then try to use it. What happens? Are they able to make it do what they need it to do? It's a source of great power. So much force and energy kind of wielded for them if they use it right. But then again, they have to understand the rules. 
I think I'd like to press really hard on the moral aspects of using a golem. Not only is it a really powerful thing that can be misused, but also just relating to the golem itself. How alive is it? Does it want to become a real boy like Pinocchio? Or is it just something pushed forward by the intention of the user? I think a lot of the stories share a common element of it going on its own tangent because there's some spirit that takes it further than what it's requested to do. It would also be just really fun to see the creative ways party members come up with for using a golem. Do they walk it through traps? Do they use it to block passageways? I think there might be hundreds of uses that we would never think of, but party members on the fly would come up with. What about you, Ray? How would you want to use a golem? I agree that golems are much more interesting as a kind of puzzle than they are as a major combatant. Of course, you end up shoving players towards the puzzle end of things anyway because most golems are fairly hard to damage or stop. And uh, so you have to find other ways of dealing with them. And I like this idea of that the mystery behind the golem is how you, I don't want to say defeat it, but how you gain control over it. And then what you do with that control is really interesting. One thing that I would check with my players uh, with right away is how they feel about science fiction in their role-playing games. I have a friend who absolutely balks at any kind of science fiction entering into role-playing, so I'd be very careful about how I portray iron golems for that reason uh, if I didn't know my group super well. I have written at least three adventures that involve golem-like creatures. The first one is The Iron Tyrant, which is a dungeon world starter that appeared in the Gauntlet magazine Codex. I believe it was Codex Time. And illustrations were done for it by Randy Mousseau. Really lovely stuff. In that setting, it's basically uh, the characters in our land that's been bleached of color and life. It seems to be kind of barely hanging on. Uh, and there's some kind of doleful communities. There's a roving band of fanatics, uh, hippies, if you will, kind of kind of freewheeling radicals. And they all worship this giant titan that roams the land and keeps everyone under its iron grip. There is a young woman named Sadra in the setting that seems to have a strange relationship with the tyrant. Um, nothing overt, but they the tyrant seems to not trouble her and, and kind of avoids her. And it's it's so the whole thing's a little bit of a mystery, and it's made to be played out in a really emergent way. At the very beginning of the scenario, and the scenario only takes up like four or five pages, um, is a list of questions. And it says, You have heard rumors of the Iron Tyrant that crushes this land in its monstrous grasp. Why must you risk entering or crossing the Tyrant's accursed plane? It is said that the Tyrant comes from a different time. Is it the past or the future? What have you heard from others about its horrible, inhuman form? How does it move so rapidly despite its immense bulk? How does the tyrant unerringly detect and locate those who enter its realm? Um, what links have the tyrant's fanatics gone to in order to appease it? Uh, do you think there's an inside to the tyrant? If so, what do you imagine is inside of it? So you get characters speculating about the tyrant, and then as the GM, you use the bits that you like, and you kind of twist the bits that you, you don't. I mean, you use all their answers, but some of them you don't use uh, super literally, or you use them as a common misunderstanding about the tyrant. 
that's kind of a cool little scenario. And then um, I know that when I wrote that, I had a little bit of the movie Zardoz floating around in my brain. And I think that was also about the time that I was doing Plundergrounds number, what was this, number five, the Far Irinyes. And in that one, I had the Helmstones, which were giant stone heads uh, that are sentient and left over from another time. They Are they golems? I don't know. I mean, do you have to be mobile to be a golem? They are sentient stone creatures. And uh, uh, Jean, uh, Juan Ochoa did like a really great illustration of them. You can find those in uh, in the Far Irinyes. And they are kind of at the heart of the adventure. They are uh, more of the kind of relic type of golem. And they're super knowledgeable because they have a very long history. They can also levitate ships. And so they serve as um, the kind of entry into into almost like a spell jammer motif that uh, I intersected with my dungeon world world finally um the last one i've written appeared in plundergrounds 4 Raka's raiders and that one is set amidst a big war between a dark lord and the rest of the realm and i invented a monster in there called the demon engine and it's like a castle on wheels or a huge siege engine it um, is solitary amorphous intelligent terrifying a construct and its instinct is to inflict pain and destruction until its demon expires or is released. So uh, this is a, a, a golem, more like a juggernaut, I guess, but because it doesn't have a humanoid shape. But it is uh, an animated construct, and it has a demon trapped inside of it. Here's the bit of fiction that goes with it. The most terrifying of all the necromancer's creations, these rolling engines of destruction can be as large as a small keep and are built around a trapped demon. Binding spells keep the demon in constant pain. Its only outlet is through the construct, ensuring maximum carnage to everything in its path. So the demon just wants to destroy um, and to escape. And it kind of begs the question, what would a demon do if it escapes? And part of the final battle involves a, kind of a back-and-forth checklist that you can use for things going on elsewhere in the battle. And one event it goes as follows. One of the necromancer's demon engines crashes into the city wall, cracking it open. You hear the weeping of the demon within, halted by the rubble from pursuing the destruction that is its only balm. It makes the hairs on your back stand up as you ride through the breach. What dread servants of the emperor wait for you on the other side? Why are they particularly good at fighting mounted troops? So that's a that that question leads into um, the main characters in Rocka's Raiders are a group of female hobgoblins that ride uh, giant rat-like creatures. <laughs> uh, but the demon engine is supposed to be this almost epic background creature uh, that is an animated construct. And so those are really kind of three different ways that I've played around with golems. I don't know how often I've used the classic golem in my scenarios. I know I put a clockwork knight in an adventure I wrote called Sinister Solstice. Um, it's hard to say. Adventure may be too strong of a word. It was a dungeon starter uh, kind of a two-part dungeon starter that was holiday-themed for playing around Christmas. It's actually what got me started writing uh, dungeon world scenarios. And that night was a living construct that was trying to lead a rebellion against Lord Kringle, who was essentially a lich in that scenario. <laughs> but I can't think of too many times that I have run classic golems in uh, my adventures or against my players. It kind of begs the question for me, Logan... If you were going to put a spin on a golem and do something kind of different with one, what kind of variant would you would you put together? 
When in doubt, look for inspiration among the 1970s film classics. My Golem was inspired by the film The Wicker Man from 1973. I call it the Flaming Wicker Man Golem. They sought to make their own lives easier. It was an old tradition, and the continued success of the village relied upon it. Burn an innocent inside the Wicker Man at New Year. Just one villager would lose everything, while everyone else gained another year of prosperity and joy. Some said the lottery was fixed. Certain wealthy families had never seen a member go to the flames. The council may have been too clever this year. They thought they'd take care of two issues at once by selecting the Thornberry child. She was different. Her odd behavior and the strange occurrences that seemed to follow her made everyone uncomfortable. Now the festival-goers have scattered and the sun has set. The orange glow can be seen for miles as a blazing wicker man taller than the clock tower marches toward town with vengeance in its heart. Instinct, burn it all down. The moves are, drive a mass of frightened animals into town. Restrict movement by toppling burning structures into the road and flare up into an explosion. I guess this was actually inspired by two 1970s classic films because it was also inspired by Carrie, which was from 1976. I have never, unfortunately, read the book by Stephen King. The idea that everybody's ganging up on one person, but that person turns out to be super dangerous and psychic, I always thought was kind of a fun twist. What about you, Ray? What would your variant be? I think you'll see where I'm going with this one right away. My variant is the Golemites. In the beginning was the Golem, first creation of the Creator whose name is not to be spoken. And being rejected by the Creator, the Golem gave himself a name, Adam. Adam sought a wife, a helpmeet, and comfort, but the Creator refused his powers. So Adam became the Creator and made a wife fashioned from the best of many of the Creator's kind, and revived by harnessing the elemental force of lightning. Together, they made more of us, each generation becoming more perfected, until we surpassed those who shun us, the Creator's kind, even though each new member of the family is made from the best parts of many of them. Being more than the sum of our parts and being fashioned from only the best, we now bear the burden of having surpassed those who shun us. We are the Creator's. We are superior and one day we will inhabit the earth in their place. So just for tags, I would put um, that they appear in groups and, uh, you know, some normal stuff. But uh, the, the big one I would add is that they are slightly larger. So I would add the tags slightly larger to them as a special quality, meaning that they're just a little larger than humans. And so um, it, it, they seem a bit odd or uncomfortable. Instinct is to reproduce, and the moves are harvest a body part, and I phrased it that way because I'm thinking not only do they rob graves, but maybe they get a little more bold than that and take parts from living people. <laughs> Passes human and feet of strength. Four attacks, fists, uh, D8 forceful, um, 12 hit points, and zero armor or as worn. So they could wear armor to up that. The idea here is obviously a self-reproducing colony of flesh golems that consider themselves to be, I guess, the new generation of human. 
I think one of the cool things about creating golems as an intelligent race is it allows you to explore some ideas about artificial life and about a race of creatures that have kind of a non-specific beef against humans. They may not be overly uh, violent towards humans, but they also are not fond of humans and may just be trying to found a colony somewhere uh, that they can have for themselves, or they may be trying to infiltrate. There's just a lot of ground you can play with there. That's a really cool idea. I think it'd be fun to have it be a situation where the golemites seem to be harvesting parts from humans and they're causing all sorts of trouble. But then it turns out that someone else has been doing the same to the golemites and they're just trying to repair themselves. Well, that's it for the show. I want to thank Derek Howard for our fantastic music. And I really want to thank Greg Gelder for an excellent suggestion. Golems was a lot of fun to do. Don't forget that you can make suggestions about which monsters we talk about. Just call us on the Anchor app or send us a message to monsterbrotherspodcast at gmail.com.